Alec has mentioned I had five years working down in England uh, with Scripture Union there. And before that, I'd been a volunteer with SU for more years than I care to think about. Scripture Union, as you may know, has got two aims. First of all, working with the churches to bring the good news of Jesus to children, young people and families. And secondly, to encourage people of all ages to meet God through the Bible and prayer. The overall theme for this missionary weekend is Mind the Gap. We've been conscious of a good many gaps uh, in what we've been thinking about. The gap between one culture and another. But I want to look at really one of the most serious gaps that is facing this country. And it is simply this. During the 1990s, the English Church Attendance Survey showed that from 1990 to the year 2000, half a million children and young people stopped coming to church. Now that works out at a thousand a week for ten years. We don't, I don't have figures for Scotland, but in all probability they're comparable. If our population is roughly a tenth of England and Wales, in round figures, a hundred children and young people every week for the past ten years have stopped coming to church. That is a gap that is horrific. George Carey, the previous Archbishop of Canterbury, said the church is bleeding to death. Now, forgive me if I sound slightly obsessive about children and young people. That's where so much of my interest as a teacher was originally and then with Scripture Union. So I'm going to bang a drum today. And if you want to dilute a little bit of what I'm saying, that's fine. But I feel that this is the most crucial issue facing the church. The thing that puzzles me is that when you look at when most people come to faith, the rough figures are these. It varies from place to place, country to country, but broadly speaking, about 1% of people come to faith in Jesus between the ages, up to the age of four. From five to 14, 75% of people come to faith. From 15 to 30, it's 20%. And only 4% of Christians come to faith after the age of 30. And the thing I really want to ask is, has the church put its resources into the areas that, on the basis of these figures, are the most fruitful? I love the work of Alpha. I think it's tremendous. But Alpha is addressing its energies, and they're very considerable, to the area where people are actually most responsive. And by and large, we have not been applying resources where they are most effective, namely with children and young people. In fact, my overall feeling is that really not a lot has changed since the days when mothers brought their children to Jesus and the disciples says, push off. Religion's for grown-ups. It's for old people, not for children. And Jesus says, well, I disagree with you. I get tired of hearing people say to me, young people are the church of tomorrow. They are not. They are the church of today. And if you don't mind my saying so, we older people, people over the age of 50, we are really the church of yesterday. Now, I don't mean that unkind. I don't mean that we're not important, that we're not needed and loved. We are. But 
our attitudes were essentially formed before the age of 30. Our conception of what church is and how church ought to be run were really formed when we were up to the age of 30. From then onwards, people tend not to be adventurous. They tend not to take risks. People, as they get older, tend to say, well, we tried that when I was young and it didn't work. We're not going to try it now. And it is young people who are at the cutting edge of the church of today, or they should be. Can I point out that in all probability, 10 of Jesus' disciples were under the age of 20. They were teenagers. I once pointed out to a friend in the Church of Scotland that in the Old Testament, the Levites, who I suppose most nearly uh, corresponded to the elders of the church, had to retire at the age of 50. Now, it doesn't mean that you're useless and superannuated after 50. But it does mean that when Jesus was launching his church, he said, I want people who have got their lives ahead of them. I want young people who still have energy to take risks and to be brave. As you get older, you tend less to do that. It's simply a fact. One of my Scripture Union friends in Africa went off on an evangelistic trip. When he came back, his wife said, well, how many people were converted? And he said, four and two halves. His wife says, four adults, two children. No, four children and two adults, because the adults had wasted half their lives already. Now, I'm putting it a little strongly, but I do want to make this point, that we ignore children at our peril. And the trouble is that, by and large, the church has done that. I'll come on to that in a minute. Your church, I think, is in many ways exceptional. I don't say that to make you proud. I'm simply stating a fact. But look at it this way. How many man hours in the average church are devoted to children, to teenagers, to adults of working age, and to the elderly? And I want to suggest that really churches should be thinking strategically in those sort of terms, not saying that because I'm a pensioner, so believe me, I'm not saying that we are important. I like to know that I'm not quite moribund, yes, but but I'm really saying, do churches, do they think young? That's it. Are they really saying, let's put our energies into a growing church rather than into the status quo? Now, most churches at best aim to hold on to the young people who are children of church members. Now, that's fine, but if you think about it, that is really no more than a strategy for survival. It is not really a strategy for growth. So, let's bear that in mind. Let's think then, why have children and young people stopped coming to church in these horrific numbers? Well, there are many reasons. One is Sunday shopping. The change in uh, Sunday shopping laws made a huge difference. Lots of parents say, oh, come on, you know, let's just, we've got to go down and get the groceries because, you know, mum's been working and dad's been working. Let's take the kids and we'll get in the car and we'll go down to Safeway. Secondly, Sunday sport. When my boys were growing up, there was teachers' industrial action and teachers stopped doing voluntary things like teaching rugby and cricket and games, drama and so on. They said, we're here to teach and if we're not paid for any more, we're not doing any more. And as a result of that, a lot of rugby sports clubs said, all right, well, we will coach children and young people on Sunday morning. Huge demand there. 
But I think also there's been a, a change in society at large, a lack of belief in any kind of overall uh, religious uh, commitment. Unsupportive parents, I think a lot of parents have said, uh, oh, I can't be bothered or I don't believe in it and uh, I'm not going to encourage my, my children. But I would have to say unsupportive churches as well. I have been in churches where people have quite bluntly said, we don't want children in church because they're noisy and they disturb the worship. Now, Jesus disagreed with them, but they felt it very strongly. And I have seen church after church, uh, in 10 years, they will be dead. And that church will turn into a cash and carry warehouse or a garage or something of that kind. So, my question is, where are the children? Well, I've suggested some places they are. They're down at the supermarket. They're down at the sports field. Scripture Union began in 1868, largely by accident. It began famously with a man walking along the beach of Slandudno, North Wales, and uh, he got a great heart for children, saw children messing about the beach, not much to do, took his umbrella and he wrote on the sand the words, God is love, invited children to decorate it with shells and seaweed and whatever, and he told them Bible stories while he was doing it. And at the end they said, what time are you coming back tomorrow? He hadn't actually intended to. But that planted the idea of beach missions in his head. In my five years in SU, I spoke at three centenary beach missions. Missions that had been going continuously for 100 years. We sometimes think that they're outdated and, and we do lots of other things in the Scripture Union, but it started with thinking, where are the kids? And secondly, where are the Christians? Are we bringing them together? Also, in uh, the 19th century, there was... Uh, the kids were kicking footballs around in the streets and so they started, I think actually, I'm not sure this is an advertisement, but I think I'm right in saying the Rangers and Celtic football clubs both came from that idea of getting youngsters involved in something other than vandalism. Um, it didn't work, as you may have noticed, after every Rangers-Celtic match, but I think it started in that way. You know, how can we help kids to do something healthy? So, at the basis of a, of a strategy for children and young people, for evangelism and growth and mission, I think those two questions are crucial. Where are they and where are the Christians? Where can we bring them together in a way that is fruitful evangelistically? Where are we putting our resources? I have a sort of morbid liking for this quotation of one teacher who came to one of our Sunday school training days. And she said, we could be teaching our Sunday school witchcraft and no one in the church would be any the wiser. They just want us to take the children away and keep them quiet. My point is that by and large, the church does not think young. Let me give you a couple of examples. At the first Lausanne conference in Manila, there were something like 140 different seminars on this different aspects of evangelism and the work of the church. Until one of my Australian colleagues got his program and realized that not one of those 140 seminars referred to children and young people. If he hadn't made a fuss, there wouldn't have been one. I was on the committee of the National Evangelical Anglican Council. They're planning their fourth 
annual, our fourth conference in Blackpool uh, in September this year. They've had three previous ones. Not one of those three conferences that were strategic for the Anglican Communion had any mention of children or young people in it. And the next one wouldn't if I hadn't been thoroughly unpleasant about it. By and large, adults don't think children. I could give you example after example. When the church, the inter-church lectionary was being put together and was published, I had a phone call from one of the uh, uh, members of the committee. He said, I am very distressed to see that your Sunday school literature is not based on the common lectionary. And I said, well, we've done a lot of research into what children uh, and those responsible for them want in teaching materials, and I'm afraid your lectionary has no relevance at all. For example, what Sunday school teachers wanted, young church leaders, whatever we care to call them, they wanted to have chunks where you can tell a good long story, given the story of Joseph or Moses. And it never occurred to anyone in that committee to think about the relevance of that lectionary for children and young people. Now, I'm sorry if you think I'm obsessive, because I am. People do not think young. The church has had this huge gap and we are paying the price for it at the moment. From a sort of mission point of view, it's worth bearing in mind that at best estimate, something like 45% of the world's population is under the age of 18. I used to do consultancy work in Egypt, the Egyptian government, and they put it this way, that they had to build a new primary school every week to keep pace with the growth in the population, and they weren't managing to do it. And I want to ask the question, does the church worldwide in its mission strategy invest 45% of its resources and direct them towards children and young people? And the answer is absolutely not. Absolutely not. And when Jesus saw this, Mark 10, 16, he said he was indignant. But you see, nothing has changed. Adults think adults. And Jesus says, think children. Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Let me strike a slightly different note. If we in the church are not sufficiently interested in children and young people, other people are very interested indeed. Let me read you an internal memo from Saatchi and Saatchi, one of the biggest advertising companies in Britain. This is what they said. We need to set up a team of our best psychologists and marketing people to get inside the minds of children. What do they think? What motivates them? Why do they want to know? So that we can make offer this expertise to our corporate clients. In other words, there's money in kids. Let's find how they think and let's manipulate them. Let's bring all that intelligence and experience to extracting money from parents via the mind of their children. Now, can I just go off at a slight time? No, I won't. I'll, come, I'll, I'll do the tangent in a minute. Let's come back to this passage that we just read in Timothy. You see, it says that Timothy learns the gospel and was convinced about it. 
Now, just, just hold on to those two words. He learned, and then he was convinced. Now, I was in an Anglican church down in, in Bristol, and I'd been banging the drum for the importance of teaching these things to your children. Afterwards, the minister came up to me. He said, yeah, I'm so grateful you mentioned the importance of that because most parents in my congregation say they don't want to bring their children to church so that their young people can make up their minds freely when they are adults as to the truth of the gospel. And I said, well, you know, that is just so frighteningly naive. You see, Saatchi and Saatchi have no scruples about brainwashing your children. As soon as your kids can switch on the television, they are being influenced. And yet, here are these parents saying, oh, we don't want to influence the way our children think about God. Leave it till they're adults. And by contrast, Paul is saying to Timothy, the reason that you are a church leader is because from your infancy, and the Greek word implies that as he acquired language, he acquired knowledge of Jesus. And he said, from infancy, first of all, you learnt it. Okay, it's a bit like, might be a bit like learning tables. You learn the words and you're not terribly sure what they mean, but you go along with them. But he says, later on, you became convinced of them. You became convinced because there was that foundational knowledge brought to you by people whom you can trust, your mum and your gran. Now, we are in great danger of letting the secular world pump all its messages into children's minds and we are not doing enough to put the alternatives, namely the way God looks at things. And so Paul is saying, remember your privileges. Remember, Timothy, the fact that you learnt these things when you were young and he got them from infancy, from people he trusted and from scripture. Now let's Take that. Think of that infancy thing. And if we think back to Deuteronomy, remember Moses is saying to the Israelites, the blessings that God wants you to have are dependent upon your hearing his word, taking it seriously and obeying it. And so he said, look, don't sort of, it's not a manipulation thing. He says, let the truth about God simply be part of the atmosphere of your home. Talk about spiritual things naturally. Whatever on the television, well, Moses didn't actually say that, you know what I mean. Whatever comes up in the news, let's try and say, well, you know, what, what, what does God have to say about this? We're introducing children from infancy in a way that is natural and is part of the atmosphere the discussion, the conversation of our homes. And he learned from people that he trusted. And so Moses is saying, look, this is a family thing. Now, this is very difficult in our secular nuclear families and our broken families and our social mobility and so on. But he's saying it, it, it's a corporate thing. Your children and your children's children grandparents, huge responsibility and opportunity on us to pray for our children and our grandchildren and do whatever is possible naturally to share with them what we know about God. 
because they trust us. They know that we love them. Now, Saatchi and Saatchi do not love your children. They love the money they might be able to extract from them. But Paul says the people who carry conviction are those who actually have a love and a concern for young people and the work that they do with them. <clears throat> I think the person I, I, I admire most who has worked with young people and really under God is in a church where nearly all the church growth has come between the ages of 12 and 18. And he is the most uncool chap I know. He is proud of it. He doesn't have blue hair and a nose stud. He is an engineer, but he has been there for young people for 23 years. Every Sunday. Every other Friday, games night. Canoe camps. Do-it-yourself camps at the end of the summer. Canoe camp in the autumn to get them back again. And people trust him. Why? Because he shows, he loves them. People learn the gospel from people they trust. People who are committed to them. And I suppose I want to say one thing, that the, what young people need if they're to grow in the faith is people who are committed to them. It's boring off that they, kids drive you nuts. And, you know, you come away... Remember somebody once said, they just grind you down, don't they? They wear you out, and they do. But that is the demonstration of the fact that we've got something of the love of God in our hearts and we're willing to share it with them. And finally, Timothy learned this from Scripture. And it's that importance of getting these commandments upon your heart. And Moses is stressing, the thing I love about that passage is he says, look, this message comes from a God who loves you. Now, listen to him and obey him. Now, I'm terribly sorry. I do tend to rant on about, about this. Let me say it is by no means all bad news. Let's look at some of the good news. When people say, where are the kids and where are the Christians? Let's get them together. There's a huge amount of really exciting strategic thinking going on around different places. Let me just give you a few to encourage you. One of our former SU staff down in England uh, went to be education officer at Southern Minster, which is a cathedral just south of Nottingham. And he thought, what a fantastic teaching aid we have here in this huge, magnificent medieval church. All over the diocese, there were primary teachers who have got to get a bit of RE into their syllabus and they don't know how on earth to do it. So he said, fine, what we'll do is, he said, we'll train a number of adults, about 40 adults, and we will have a number of stations all the way around this church. So at the front door, at the communion rail, at the communion table, at the lectern, at the baptistry and all the rest of it. And groups of children come and they spend the first 10 minutes at the great west door and then they go to the baptistry and then they go to the stained glass window and they go to the lectern and the communion rail and at each pl place there is an adult who explains what the meaning of this is and by the time kids have been right round that church and it's a whole day activity they've got the gospel in simple form with visual aids and every year something between seven and ten thousand children go through that church 
over the period of two or three weeks. Where are the children? They're in school. Where are the Christians? Let's bring them together. Think about this one. I said that where are the kids? They're on the sports fields. Okay. About five years ago in SU, we got a gift from somebody who said, why can't we harness the media concentration on the World Cup football, the Olympic Games, whatever. Why can't we harness that to share the gospel with them? And together with the Child Evangelization Fellowship, we put together materials in a program for what is called Kids Games. In the run-up to the Olympics or the World Cup, we get churches to get out of the door and to have sports activities with children in their area. And they do it like a holiday club over a period of some days and weeks, but then they bring them all together in a big sports stadium. In Cairo, a Muslim country, 40,000 children met for a final day of games in the national football stadium. And things like that are happening all over the world. Where are the children? Where are the young people? They're in school. And over the years, Scripture Union and others have seen the opportunity of having schools workers who can get into school and offer a service, take assemblies, take RE lessons, and feed those into other activities going on outside. Church that I know, getting terribly empty, hardly any children coming along, but the minister did notice that every day, a great gaggle of mums and children came past from the local primary school. And they thought, well, hang on a minute. They're going right past the door. Why don't we have a children's service? And he did. They have a cup of tea, they have a chat, mums come in, and a small number of children have been coming to his church ever since. Where are the, church, where are the children? Where are the Christians? Queensland, Australia. Huge opportunities in the schools. And SU got together with local churches and in every secondary school around Brisbane they have a school chaplain. Now I want to mention this very particularly because there's a young man in Edinburgh who has a vision to do the same sort of thing here in the city. Peter Granger knows about it. But there is a real opportunity here to have suitably trained people who can build up the confidence and trust of local schools to put, as it were, a young person's chaplain into schools so that they're there as a resource for teaching and for counselling and support. Where are the ch children? Where are the Christians? That's the basis of a strategy. Now, if we don't do something, if we don't think creatively, then we are going to see the continuing decline of young people in churches across this country. So finally, what would I suggest for action? <clears throat> First thing, I don't want to sell any bright ideas. Somebody said to me long ago, the church is looking for better methods and God is looking for better people. First step, let's take that concern to God. When Jesus says, pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send out laborers. Don't rush around like headless chickens trying to get the latest bright idea. But let's have a concern and bring it to God and say, what do you want us to do? How can we get out of the ghetto? How can we meet young people and children? How can we do something? 
second piece of advice I would say, always start small. Don't try and do big exotic things. The parable of the mustard seed is take something small and plant it in response to God's call. And then step, step back and watch it grow. So start small, but I would say think big. Don't be satisfied with something small. Say, yes, God, you've blessed us this far, but let's see it grow. Twelve years ago, SU was started in the former Soviet Union with two part-time people and no money. Today, the scripture union movements in Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Ukraine, Belarus, Armenia, Tajikistan, Siberia, St. Petersburg, and Moscow. They're small, but they're growing. Probably between three and 4,000 young people will go to camp. Why? Start small. Pray the Lord of the harvest. But think big and expect God to do something bigger than he's done up to now. I'm sorry that I have probably, I've run on a bit, but um, I do feel strongly about this, you may have noticed. But I do just want to say, please, take this to your heart. Think, how can we mine that gap? How can we fill that gap? That aching gap in so many churches that are devoid of children and young people. Let's pray. Let's bring our concern to God. Loving Father, we want to bring to you the concern we have for the young people of our country who are being fed food that does not nourish. They're being cheated of their birthright. And that birthright is to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Saviour. And we pray that as we bring our inadequacies, Lord, we just feel we don't know what to do. But we do believe that your concern is deeper than ours. You were the one who said, let the children come to me and don't stop them for such is the kingdom of God. Lord, we want to hear that. And we want to respond and say, Lord, just help. Help us to have a willingness. Help us to be sacrificial. Help us to take risks. But help us, above all, to cry to you for your help for our country and for the children and young people in it. The children and young people for whom you died. Amen. Our final hymn is All Earth Was Dark and after the introduction